So over the, over the last couple of weeks, I have I've started introducing anytime soccer through my seventh, uh, eighth grade girls team. And I was surprised how well they took it and how interested they are in there um, based on the way I explained it to them, like what it's going to do for them. So now we'll see how it is over a longer period, but everything starts and breaks, in my opinion, with the individual food skills. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. This is a unique show that we're doing today. It has an international slant to it and it's something that's near and dear to my heart. One of the most common questions we get on the Facebook page are from questions who are from parents who are considering traveling abroad to go to a soccer camp or traveling to Arizona to go to the Barcelona camp or similar camps, or traveling uh, somewhere to go to a residential camp. And they have so many questions. So I made it my mission to find um, discerning parents who have experienced this and help their child experience this and just learn what their experience was like. Now, each person is gonna have their own perspective and each person is gonna have their own reasons for doing things. So what I want to do is interview a lot of parents so that we can take more of a mosaic approach. We take a little bit here, we take a little bit there, and these parents can be a resource if you have more specific questions. You can hit them on Facebook or comment below, and then you can find out what works best for you. And that in that vein, we're kicking off the first show today with Keldrick Walker. Coach, yes, did I get sir. your name right? That's it. You got it. I all right, so tell us about yourself. And then, and I said you're a parent, but you also coach your son. That's so tell us about yourself, where you're from, your children, what you've been doing in the soccer world, and then we'll jump into the show. Sure, all right. Well, you got the name right. It's Keldrick Walker. I've, um, I didn't grow up playing soccer, so I'm not one of those guys. I was American football and baseball growing up. Uh, my son started playing soccer when he was five years old. And what got me into it was, although I didn't play soccer, I, I, I knew what athletics were like. I knew what coaching should look like. And so his first coach was, you know, probably what a lot of Americans see, just run around and kick the ball, no out of bounds, just kick it in. We all laugh. It's almost like a babysitting service, right? And so I wasn't too pleased with that, knowing sports the way I knew sports. And so I, I took over the team and actually started teaching the kids the fundamentals of soccer, which meant I had to go do a bunch of research to, to, to figure this out and bring in some guys in uh, that were more experienced from a soccer standpoint, but then actually setting the bar for, okay, this is what I expect these five-year-olds to start doing. And it worked. It actually worked. These little five-year-olds took off, man. They took off like, like uh, I mean, it, it was amazing to watch what they were doing and compared to their peers. And so this actually got really fun for me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to actually go out and, and take some U.S. Uh, soccer courses uh, to, to get licensed, to learn more about this. I started playing intramural soccer to learn more about the sport because I just that's the best way to learn is to actually get involved, get in it, started watching it. And the more I learned about it, the more I was able to give these kids. And some of these kids, my son is now 11. 
some of these kids I've been coaching for six years now um, and, and through various clubs, which we can get into if you like, but they've been really successful. The team that I coach now is ranked number 13 in the state of Louisiana. And these are a combination of 2011 and 2012 birth year kids, but we always play in the 2011 divisions. And when we travel for tournaments, we play in the top division of the tournaments that we go into for 2011 boys. And we just joined um, a club which allows us to be a part of Louisiana Soccer Association or LSA. So we're in the, in the classic league now. And it was funny when we first got into the league, they put us in the bottom division because we had no history with the local organization, the sanctioning body for Louisiana. And they quickly realized that was a mistake. <laughs> Games were 18 nil. It was, it was just ridiculous. So they bumped us up two divisions now. So we're just below the top division, uh, which they said is not normal, but they realized in that situation, yeah, we shouldn't have been in the division where we are. So that's my background, okay. kind of what keeps me motivated. Keldrick, I'm so glad I got you on the show. And that's why I do these shows. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that we can talk about, we could talk about just on that story alone before we even got to Barcelona. Sure. And you, I, I, I'm going to go on a limb here and say, I think you would love my podcast because what I preach is if you, if you value this thing and you want to get involved, you can, you can learn the soccer stuff, just embrace it and learn it. Yep. Because I like you, I didn't grow up. I grew up in South Carolina. <laughs> we ain't know nothing about soccer, but right. my boys got into it. I'm into what they into. And I literally just devoured everything I could about soccer. Right. But like you, I did have an athletic base. So I knew what discipline, organization, high expectations. I understood that. And yep. probably like you, because we're both from the South, I knew that you could instill some of those values even at a very young age Absolutely. in a developmentally appropriate way. Absolutely. Right? You can, and so I kind of understood that as well. And that is exactly why I got into rec, rec coaching at first. Now, I mean, I know you're not rec coaching now, but that's how I started. Sure. Because I said to myself the exact same thing. We're going to be out here anyways. <laughs> and God bless the rec coach that I had, that, that we had that was doing his thing. God bless him. Because I was too intimidated to, to volunteer as a coach. I didn't even know what to even think about doing. Right. But after the first season, I saw, you know what? I have a skill set in other areas that I can help with these organizations. And then the peak and the kids and the and everybody, they just really appreciated it. Right. Now, what I haven't done is taken that leap to the next level, like you and then a few other guests I've uh interviewed have where we go up to the next level. And I'm taking my licenses and stuff like that. And I'm really thinking about it. Sure. Now, before we jump into Barcelona, there is something that you mentioned that I want to clear. I want to ask because we have a recurring show about understanding U.S. soccer and how it compares to the rest of the world. And I think mm -hmm. that will be a good segue into understanding Barcelona. Sure. And I'm actually a little fuzzy on this. So you have your state associations mm -hmm. and your state associations are going to have their classic leagues. Correct. Now, where I think in North Carolina, let's say you're in classic. I, I'm fuzzy on this. And then you tell me how it works with you guys. Let's oh. say you have a club, a soccer club. Mm -hmm. So we have NCFC. And NCFC has all of these different colors that sim symbolize the different levels of classic. Sure. Gold, blue, silver, different levels of classic. Sure. 
And but once they get to gold in their the equivalent of 2010s or well now it would be 2011s, mm-hmm. they the way NCFC does it is you have an opportunity at that point to make their ECNL regionals, the national or and then academy. They're all ECNL because they don't have MLS next, but right. they're regional academy, national, that kind of stuff. Right. And so even though you're technically in classic in some respects you're really outside of that state association classic and you're with you as club soccer. Sure. And then there was a smaller club mm-hmm. in our area who got a classic team, classic or something, and they entered into a lower classic team and then they kept winning and then they were bumped up and they got an opportunity to be an NPL, which is, again is a U.S. club soccer thing. Now, I don't know if any of this is making any sense, but I really want to understand like the how you started at the lower level and you bumped up. What is that in more detail? Sure. So so I'm going to back up a little bit. So for us, um, what I did with the team that I was coaching, many of these kids since they were five years old, by the time they were eight and we were getting close, well, about eight years old, the club that we were initially in, it wasn't competitive enough uh, for us as a team. And we really wanted to keep the boys together. And what I found is that some of these clubs say, nope, every season we're going to go back into the pool and you'll get a whole, whole new fresh set of kids. And as a volunteer coach, if you've done that before, you know when they switch you up, you've gotten kids to a certain point and you just throw new kids into the mix. It's like, oh man, okay, we got to start over. We were developing, we were going down this great path. Now we got to start over and, 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 you know, and see what we get. But we have parents that wanted to keep the kids together. I really wanted to keep the kids together. They became friends because we did stuff outside of the pitch to build that camaraderie, which I thought was important. And so we moved to a, another club uh, that was in the area. So we took the entire team. I spoke to the club. They were okay with it. We moved the entire club, the entire team to that club. Well, we got in that club. Again, this was a recreational uh, league that we were playing in. But at this point, I know for sure the kids were nine years old at this point. And what I was seeing, especially once I got my, my license through U.S. soccer, I was then getting information about tournaments and all this development and the things that were for nine-year-olds that I wasn't seeing in the state of Louisiana, which is where I am. I wasn't seeing tournaments and competitive games for nine-year-olds. So I told the parents like, hey, I really want to push these kids. I want to challenge them. Let's go find some tougher competition. And I want to make sure they were okay with that. Everybody's like, yeah, let's do it. So then I approached that club at the time and they said, nope, you can't do that. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. You've got to wait till these kids are, at this point, they were nine until they're 10 and 11. You'll become a part of our junior comp competitive, which was internal. Everything was internal. And then when they're older, you can go play competitive, but it was controlling everything. And so um, I was familiar with U.S. club soccer. I, my mentor at the time, who was also uh, my teacher during one of my licensing courses, I talked to him about it. And I was like, look, man, we want more competition. I think I think the kids are good, but we're only playing in our small recreational pond. I want to see what else is out there. And so he said, well, tell you what, I'll get you with U.S. club soccer licenses and you go see. And he prepared me. He said, just know it's tough out there. Right. <laughs> so I said, I said, all right, man, we're going to go do it. So we went and did it. Our first tournament. Believe it or not, we went to the state of Mississippi and got smacked. <laughs> we got smacked. And at the time, from a coach's standpoint, I thought we were pretty good, but we were playing our recreational league and we were 
beating kids in the recreational league. And I thought, man, we're doing pretty dang good. And that's when I realized I thought I had my bar high. It wasn't high enough. So as a coach, I took that back and said, okay, I just saw these other nine-year-olds and what they were capable of. That means my boys are capable of, of capable of doing that same thing. So I got to raise the bar. So that's what we did. Raise the bar. Training got more intense. My session plans were more deliberate. Uh, still was fun. I still made things fun in terms of a session planning standpoint, but it was much more deliberate about their development. Highly, highly uh, focused on technical skills. But what I did that was different than most other clubs was I started introducing tactical play. So even at nine years old, they were learning formations. We were starting to do more rondos, even learning how to combine at nine years old and learning some of those things that their peers in our area weren't necessarily getting exposed to. So that's how we started in terms of getting into the competitive uh, part of soccer. And that was nine years old. So that was two, two, it'll be three years ago this year. So we took that. Um, eventually the boys got a little bit older. And so we were able to play competitive even in our local area. But by then we had played tournaments in Dallas, Texas. We were in Foley, Alabama. We were going down to Florida. We were traveling all over to go play competitive tournaments and our, our skill level just growing and growing and growing. And it was because of the competition we were playing. Instead of being in these rec leagues where it was kind of like, oh, we're here for fun. We were here for fun, but we also wanted to, wanted to challenge ourselves and become better. So we went from there. I'm sorry, I know I'm making it long. But we went from there and then we, um, we, we became a part of LSA again inside of, inside of uh, Louisiana Soccer Association. And that's when we had to start learning all the alphabet soup and the colors and what does this mean? How do we get to this level and doing all that kind of stuff? And so, but what we had to do, we had to leave the big club and we had to find a smaller club that was willing to work with us and, and help us push through to, to break through some of those. Because what I found is the larger clubs, nope, you're going to come in, you're going to do it this way and you will not progress. Don't, don't care what level you're at. You're going to follow the system and we're going to churn through this. And that's, that's it. That's all you yeah, got. Yeah, so let me throw a couple of things. Let me throw a couple of, uh, an administrative point. What we're going to do, because this conversation is so compelling and so good, we're going to yep. continue this conversation. Then I'm going to cut it. That's okay. going to be one interview. And then we're going to hop right into Barcelona as a separate one. So, okay. oh, go ahead. You got to tell somebody. I'm sorry, my wife is leaving. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry. And then let me know. Hey, that's what I'm telling. I tell everybody, when you're a parent, coach, father, yeah. Yeah, you're gonna get interrupted, and right, right. Get, but this is so good that I actually want to stick with this for a second. Okay, when you guys became U.S. club soccer, you were for all practical purposes a travel in the literal sense, a travel team. Literal, we could play anybody, anywhere, travel whatever state we wanted to. That was the freedom that we were looking for, yeah. And and, and this is going to tie into Barcelona and it's going to tie into how soccer is in the rest of the world. Because when I interview people from the rest of the world, one of the first things I ask them is, are there any barriers to creating a team? And they actually find this question um, confusing. Right. Because it is here. Yeah, because they're like, yeah, you create the team, you go to the FA and they're going to put you in a league. But right. here you got to you can create it. It's just hard. All right. Now you're in U.S. club soccer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something out there, and this is my understanding. You you confirm. Had there been at least three other U.S. club soccer teams in your area, and you guys got together, you could have technically created your own U.S. club soccer league. Is that fair? I don't know, but that's amazing because I'm actually gonna go look that up now. 
to see because that, that so, would have been awesome. So it's my understanding um, that U.S. club soccer allows you to create a league as long as you have at least four competing teams in your in your area, U.S. club oh. soccer teams in your area. That's awesome. That's the type of league that my older son competes in now because his club ran into the exact same issue that mm -hmm. your club, that you ran into. Because one of the issues, that it, it definitely in South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, it's probably like that nationally. In order to get a um, U.S. soccer designation, you have to create like a rec program and all this other stuff. All that other stuff, absolutely. And it's a bear. And then the and then the members of the state association have to approve you, right. which they have no incentive to do that. It's like it's, it's like petition. Why would I? Yeah, like it's like McDonald's <laughs> saying, "Yeah, we're gonna let Joe's Burger Shack." Like, no, they're never right. gonna do that. So, right. and and then there's no judgment. I'm not look. Y'all right. can interpret it however you want, but that's the reality. And right. then. And so then what I was going to say is the other way you can do it is you, and I think, and this is what I'm going to get you to tell me, you do a conduit relationship with a bit with a club. So they bring you in as part of the club right. underneath their umbrella. So exactly. on paper, you're a part of that club, but you're doing your own thing. Is that what you guys did? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And the, in the, in the big clubs are very hesitant to do conduit relationships because why? Now they do. They're starting to do that more with our our Hispanic community, mm -hmm. because our Hispanic community have a similar dilemma. Culturally, they want the kids to be together. It's a lot of family. I mean, it's just culturally, it's just obvious. Right. They want them to stay together. Right. They also want the competitive landscape, though, but they don't want to switch team players every season. That's not how they operate. Right. That's not how my older sons operate. They're not Hispanic. They, they're um, Caribbean. Right. And so the larger clubs are accommodating them by creating these um, conduit relationships where they can stay together. Right. So that I understand. And if I had to wave a magic wand and I was the president of U.S. soccer, I would take a book from our... Um, regulated utilities. So I used to work in banking and we would cover utilities for my, my group. And the government stepped in and said, for all practical purposes, you as a, as a public, these public utilities, they have to allow small operators to have access to the grid. Right. And they have to do things to allow, to make, make it where small operators can stay competitive and, and, and innovate. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, if you want to produce power and you don't have access to the grid, I mean, are you going to, you, you have to spend trillions right. of dollars. This is, it'll right. never be any competition. They have a natural monopoly. Right. And the, the large operators, if they have a natural monopoly, are never going to innovate. So you're not going to have green energy. This is not a political thing. I don't, right. I don't know. I you're not you. going to have. <laughs> You're not gonna have um, a cellular, uh, cellular type energy. You're not gonna have independent operators going in Appalachia, provide Appalachia providing electricity because there's no financial incentive to do that. Right. So when they stepped in and said, you have to create a marketplace where small independent operators can operate, it's better for everyone, at least the consumers. Right. 
U.S. soccer needs to do that in some kind of way. The largest club in our area has over 20,000 kids. They have these long-term uh, contractual arrangements with the municipality, uh, municipalities on all the fields. So now you, you and then they, they, they extract all of the potential coaching talent and the kids. And so when you're an independent person like you, who is mission driven, trying to, um, trying to make a difference in kids' lives and you need just a slightly unique tweak, it's almost like you're fighting big oil. Mm -hmm. This now stifles development, stifles creativity. You already work in a full-time job, you're a small, -time, small business owner. Right. And now you got to fight the red tape just to coach your kids and right. give them a competitive environment. Right. So 100%. when people get a little annoyed with U.S. soccer, I think sometimes putting the um, tro trollers aside, there's rational people saying it's not that complicated. Right. You're making this way too complicated. Right. Go ahead. Last thoughts on that. No, no, you I, I actually agree. So a story similar, different state, same thing. Right. So we we had issues, and I'll say with the first club that we were with, um, where they had contracts with the municipalities, public parks, paid for with public funds, privately managed, right? <laughs> privately managed by a for-profit institution. And so just when I wanted to, to be able to find a pitch, I remember calling around saying, hey, there's a soccer field. We want to be able to practice on this soccer field. And they said, oh, give this person a call. And I called. And it was the director of the local soccer club, not a public soccer club, a private soccer club. And, it, and I'm basically asking him, hey, I need a field. Oh, well, sorry, we're letting the fields rest or whatever. I would get all the runarounds you could imagine and reasons why my kids couldn't go play on a soccer field. So what I did was eventually reached out to the school, to the school board. Uh, there's several public schools around here and said, hey, I need to utilize one of the fields here. I just got a couple of kids. We want to practice soccer. And thankfully, they were very receptive. And uh, I filled out some paperwork, had to do some insurance stuff. And that's how we had a soccer field. But we had soccer fields that, I, as a taxpayer, I'm paying for, but we had no access to them. And so that that was definitely a frustrating thing. And I, and I agree with your point. Um, being one of the small guys uh, and developing, because my passion is to develop. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't get a salary from the club. I don't want one from the parents. I don't, I don't, I don't want anybody paying me because then I feel like you're gonna tell me what to do. So mm -hmm. I know what I want to do from a development standpoint. I do it because I'm passionate about it. My son is in it. I I feel like these other kids are my sons too because I've been coaching them so long. I actually love and enjoy doing it. It doesn't feel like a job. So when I'm out there fighting that red tape, because it's there, 100 percent it's there. We would try to get friendlies against the local clubs. And we were always just given like runaround. Didn't even want to play. And I'm like, we're in the same city. You know who we are because when you finally would leave the city and go play competitive, right? This is the funniest thing. We're going to play competitive tournaments in other states, right? We typically didn't see the local Louisiana kids at our age at these other tournaments, but we just happened to be in an in-state tournament and we see a, a team that's a year or two older than ours and we're in the same division and we meet them there. And it's like, hey, I know you guys. And they're looking like, what are you guys doing here? I thought you guys, were, nope, but you know, but that's what we had to do to be able to do it. And then they were finally able to see the kids and, and we beat those kids that were much older than us playing up. But again, our focus was development. There was no, there was no machine behind it. It wasn't like it was a job. I'm not knocking some of the coaches, but you know, to a degree, 
it becomes a job. You're pooling players, you're moving them around. It's a shuffle. And that's, and I know how tough it is for me as a coach when you keep giving me new players. And so I can't finish that development uh, that I'm doing with, with certain players, even in, even, I'm saying even within the same season or the same year. So I understand kind of what the coaches go through, but um, I think it would be better. I honestly didn't know that about U.S. club soccer, but I do think that that U.S. soccer needs to look at that, right? Because one of the things is the keys to entry is, like you mentioned, you've got to have a recreational league. You've got to have your own field, your own field, which is hard where you're in a city where it's already secured by the big clubs. You've got to be in existence for two years before you can even apply to join the local the local association. I didn't, I didn't so, know that. Like, yeah, so I, I read the bylaws. So it's like, it makes it very difficult to get in. So in other words, in order for me, I look at it myself, in order for me to start a club in my area, I've got to secure land, uh, put a put a pitch on it, um, come up with the recre- recreational league, right? And get parents buy-in who have seen these big, larger clubs in their marketing for years. And we've got to go do that for two years with no league support, nothing locally. So we'll obviously be U.S. club and we'll try to do our own thing with some other smaller clubs. And then in two years, we can apply and ask for permission to join the association. It's like, that's, that's a lot. You know? Yeah, and so, so and let me throw a couple of things that the barriers to entry are clear. Right. And, and I don't know how we as a nation move past this because it doesn't seem, this seems to be intractable. And it also seems to be, the incentives are aligned to keep it the way it is. There are people like you who are fighting a good fight, but you know it's very difficult. I also in the in the in my podcast talk a lot about how U.S. soccer doesn't have to be as expensive as it is, mm-hmm. but we have to change the cultural dynamic. And what that means is more people like you who are willing to step up and be coaches have to be given the support, education, and uh, resources resources to do something, to, to do it. Right. You said it, you said it best. See, when people think about grassroots soccer in England, they all say, well, you know, we'll, they'll talk about how much, how cheap it is. Those coaches, for the most part, are volunteers, okay? Mm-hmm. And, but they have support from their FA and they don't have all this red tape, they may have played a little bit, mm-hmm. but here's the key. If you start coaching your child by the time they're at five or six, by the time they're 11, 12, 13, you got six or seven years of experience. Right. That, so you might fumble around a little bit at the beginning, but let's be honest, you know, all junior coaches fumble around in the beginning. Right. But if you if they five by the time they 10, you got five years, 11 and 12, you got six or seven years. Even if you started off and you went and got your licenses, right. even if you which is another situation altogether, once you get past a certain one, it's kind of expensive. Right. So even if you but so even if you started off fumbling around, you give me a six year, seven year coach who happens to be a parent. I'm rolling with them. Because right. that person is dedicated to what they're doing and hopefully they've been learning. Right. And I think that is one of the ways we're going to bend this cough curve. Mm-hmm. I would even argue, uh, and I'm really close to doing this myself, just uh, you say for development, almost out of, not spite, that's not the right word, <laughs> to prove a concept. Right. Take a, I'm about to start, I, I think next year I'm very close to coaching a challenge team, starting with a nine-year-old challenge team 
yep. and telling the parents, uh, I only have a kid on the team. We're going to be together for three years. Yep. And I promise you, if you trust me, we challenge. Yep. We're going to enter into the same tournaments that all the um, uh, classic teams in. And we and, and I know people say, like, oh, it's not about winning. No, we're going to play so beautifully, right? right that people are going to say, wait a minute, this is, this is a challenge? What? And we're going to be able to demonstrate you don't necessarily have to pay all that money to get quality coaching. As long as you have an adult who is passionate about it, getting the resources they need, doing their homework, and you have some good volunteer parents, and you have parents who are bought in to what you try to do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So don't let me get my mic Singletary on you. But, but let me tell you, man, I had parents that, because um, what would happen for me, man, with the kids I got, it was never, we never really did tryouts. It would be kids come along. I'd, I'd be like, church, take you as you come, right? Yeah. So it'd be like, you come where you are and I'm going to develop. That, that's, that's what we do. And, and I'm not exaggerating this. Every kid that has left my team at some point has gone on to play top division or MLS next. Every one of them. I haven't had one kid that has left my team at any point and went and played in some bottom division somewhere. They don't do it. I'm just telling you. And, and the difference is all the kids are capable. But it's for me, the incentive is I want to develop you like I want to see you see you go out there and show out. And the thing is, the more you learn, the more fun the game gets like my kids for over a year. So it's been two years now. We do film sessions, right? Ten year olds, they have film sessions. So we practice twice a week and we do film sessions. We record games and then they sit down and we analyze and break down games. We do our own film sessions. And then we also look at youth academies like Sevilla, FC Barcelona, Real Madrid. We look at their films and we watch and we analyze by positions, right? And we actually have study sessions where I go over what's a nine. Like they know the numbers on the pitch now. And what's the, what's, what, what are the attributes that make a great nine? What makes a great 11? Like they know these things and they're, they're 10 and 11 right now. They already know this. So when they, when they go and, and it's always funny when they, when they go and they guest play on other teams or. They go to these camps. I already know, like, man, they're going to get there and show out. I know how they're going to show up amongst their peers. And so they've had friends that they'll invite. You know, we'll have a friend. they like, hey, they want to come check out the team. Yeah, tell them to come to practice. And a kid will show up to our practice. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to just boast. But it's happened on multiple occasions where a parent will show up to one of our practice sessions, practice sessions. And they will come up at some point and be like, oh, my God, I've never seen a session like this. My kid has learned so much in this one, one and a half hour session. And he's been doing all this stuff with these other, you know, you know, I'm not calling names, but it's like, that is common feedback that I give back. But at the same time, for me, I, I do my research. And what I find is a great coach, a great coach. And you can find your pick out your, your, your greatest coach in the world. It doesn't always mean you had to play, but you got to be smart enough to know what resources you need and who you need to get done what you need to get done. So I bring in resources where I need them. Right. I'll, I'll go visit academies to learn and study as a coach. Let me go see what these academies are doing. And guess what? I'm bringing it back to my team. And here's what we're going to be working on now. I understand your peers may be working on this. This is what we're working on. And here's how we're going to get there. Man, you making me want to move to Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> bring my son there. I got a nine year old, you know, and ready to play. But right. when you meet a, par a parent who that light bulb has gone off and they start coaching and they're passionate about it, other parents see it right kids see it they buy into what you're trying to do 
and it, and then like you, because I tell people this, and I'm, we're gonna I'm gonna shut up with this one. <laughs> one of the most uh, empowering things in my own life is seeing young people develop. It's actually taught me I can do anything. You see kids stumbling around on day one. Day 60, they're moving around. They're doing all this stuff. And it teaches you that you're not, that, that no one is static. We all can get better. So right. final thoughts. Right. I, I would say, man, it's for parents, um, find that passionate coach. Find that coach that really has a passion for it. Um, I would say the kids, as a parent, I think you need to make it a point. These kids on the pitch, they need to be friends. Don't just have your kids show up 10 minutes before practice and be the first one leaving. That's that's not how you're going to develop these kids. They got to be unselfish on the pitch. They need to be friends. They need to get to know each other. Uh, they need to get to know tendencies. And that's the only way it's going to happen. I met a coach when I was in Spain. And he, and he talked about with the kids that his expectation is you spend 30 minutes before a match. You guys should be together talking, hanging out, you know, including doing warm-ups, but you guys have to be together. And I expect you to stick together for the next 20 or 30 minutes after a match. You can't leave. You guys stay together. And it was all about building the camaraderie with the players so that when they're on the pitch, man, these are friends. And when you got friends playing together, that's a tough squad to beat. I'm just telling you, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Listen, I said this. I keep saying last word, but you keep dropping dimes. So look, my older son's club, I posted on social media. I said, when, when, they, when they go on road games, they actually have to arrive 90 minutes early. And I hate that as a parent. Right. And it's kind of strange. And people interpreted that as, oh, this is a drill sergeant thing. They're making them arrive 90 minutes early. Right. But actually, in a weird way, it was actually cool because the kids got 30 minutes to be kids and just be themselves. The coach would kind of be there, but they'd, have, they'd be talking and just joking around. Right. And then if anybody was... Um, had any issues you know you had an extra window for, to make sure they were there right and then they did their their normal warm-up but they were friends and they just enjoyed it but if you just say that if you just said i want all the kids to uh, if you just said on social media i want all the kids to come 30 minutes earlier or say 30 minutes later it may sound like oh it's negative but i'm like no you got to create a culture where they want to be there it's not exactly. punishment they're like i'm looking forward to being here right Right. So, Every match our kids play, man. I'm not exaggerating. We have to pull them off after they're done because they're going to hang out. They go and they hang yeah. out. They'll, they'll go and start playing around and they'll find a goal somewhere because they're actually friends. And we look at other teams. And when the game is over, every kid is going, his parents going separate ways and they head into their cars. And I'm like, these kids don't even know each other. And, and, and I had a kid. The only reason he left the team because he aged out. So he was a 2010. That's why my 2012s were playing two years up for a while. And when my 2010s left, that was they left the team, went to these other teams, went top division. And the parents said they struggled because the kids weren't friends. Kids didn't know each other. Kids didn't like each other. We just show up here to play and then we leave. And I was just like, wow, that's sad. That's sad that it's like that, you know. Well, gotta, thank you for what you do, coach. Sure, sure We're going to post this. It's going to be an inspiration for our parent coaches out there and our coaches as well. You've been listening to Neil Crawford. I'm the host of the Inside Scoop and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. I've sat down with Kendrick, Keldrick, Keldrick, Walker, yep. coach, coach, entrepreneur, and father. And we just had a real frank conversation about his, you know, his struggles at starting his club, his struggles and red tape 
of getting um getting field space, getting the teams, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, kids are developing and they're having fun. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, guys. Let's get better together.